going to wrap up our series tonight. We'll be in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the reason we're coming to the end of the series, there could be more said about it. The Bible has a lot to say about money. Uh, but we have to bring it to a close because we just don't have enough seating to seat everybody who wants to hear about finances. You can laugh right there. <laughs> well, it's there is a a ton of scripture about finances and you can say that, you can show that and still there's a lot of people who say, well, I'm, I just don't think y'all talk about money in church. They're probably skin flints. But we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and we'll, uh, we'll read a couple of verses there. Oh, I forgot to run off the copies. Oh, man. I didn't run off the copies. I didn't print one out. I didn't print out a master either. You can get by. Okay. The old-fashioned way. They did this a long time ago, the old-fashioned way, without all the digital and electronics. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a kerosene lamp. We'll be speaking on a subject tonight of uh, the essentials, teaching the essentials of finances to kids. So you're off the hook, hook, adults. The kids, they're all back in Master Club and in the teen department tonight. And so uh, we'll just talk about them. They're not in here. And the bad part is the burden's on us to train them kids. And possibly we have to train ourselves a little bit along the way in order to get them trained. Wouldn't you think so? We hit another glitch. Is our, is our internet out tonight? I said we didn't have any kids. Now we've got a kid. <laughs> the rest of the kids are all back there in nursery and teen department and the, uh, and the master club. And so we're glad you joined us, Brianna. Would you like to sing, would you like to sing a special? <laughs> I, I figured that. <laughs> what are you going to say, brother? It doesn't get taught. No. It didn't get taught much back then and less now. Less now. So, Well, I appreciate somebody saying that. I don't feel so lonely now. You're glad too, Brother Rod? Man, let's just take a vote on this, shall we? Brother Paul's glad of it. <laughs> yeah. We'll go in a different direction uh, next week. We'll see what the Lord has for us there. Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse number 6. This is a couple of verses uh, that's my favorites that I've loved over the years. In verse number 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt... Talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. The scriptures say that parents ought to teach their kids the things that the Lord has spoken. Now, have we looked at enough verses so far to determine that the Lord did speak about finances 
And so if he spoke about that, that not, might not sound as spirit-led and as exciting and as emotional as talking about maybe uh, leading somebody to the Lord or, or having a hallelujah chorus or something like that. But if the Lord spoke it and we're supposed to teach our kids the things that the Lord spoke about, then that would include finances at least. And it's our job as parents to prepare them for life. We would like for our kids to be saved, wouldn't we? And we'd like for them to be discipled. And we would like for them to be trained in good health practices, to eat right, to bathe and brush their teeth and all of that. We would like for them to learn how to be moral people and good citizens. We would like for them to marry right. And so all of those things are important. But I don't know if there's many subjects that's more important than teaching them the importance of money and how to handle it because the truth is if, if they're li- they can have those other things right and if they don't know how to handle their finances, their life can still be a disaster. A report recently, or a recent report found that if, if your family has a business, there's a 70% chance that your kids will eventually get involved in that business. That report also stated that all parents want to help their kids get started in life. And it further found that the top 2% of wage earners in America will, uh, their children live pretty much the same way their parents lived because they learned from their parents. And so that would say a lot about our financial dealings as adults, as parents, we can, and, and business relationships and so forth, we can pretty well say that however we have conducted those things, our kids are probably going to be ended up coming pretty close to that same thing. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It's called the coattail effect. And if we have good financial habits, that coattail effect will kind of latch on to those kids or the kids will latch on to the coattails and follow along to a large degree. Some more, some less. But just like good financial habits have a coattail effect, bad ones do too. Other than leading our children to faith in Christ, there's not many things more important than teaching them how to handle money. Uh, We read in Deuteronomy 6.6 and I I fully believe that if we are sincere about trying to teach our kids, and a lot of there's parents that don't teach their kids a lot, you know, they just don't teach them much about anything. There are a lot of parents that don't take their kids to church. They don't send them to Sunday school and don't take them to Sunday school, and they don't learn a lot about the Lord. What's more important than learning about the Lord? And so if they don't teach them about the most important thing, like the Lord, then they probably don't teach them a lot about money either. In Ephesians 6, 4, it says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To bring them up, to bring them up. That means we've got we to reach down where they are and lift them up where we want them to be. Uh, kids don't learn everything by osmosis. <laughs> we, have to, we have to coax them, teach them, train them. And teaching is more... Teaching is more than just saying something to them. You know, you parents that's raised kids to their adulthood or teen years by now, you know that teaching is a lot more than just saying something to them. 
you can tell them things two or three times, that doesn't mean they're going to do it. Teaching has to get into training and bringing them up. And that means we keep on, we don't just necessarily keep repeating ourselves, but putting more effort into that teaching. We ought to tell them. It's just like witnessing uh, for the Lord Jesus. Uh, we ought to have a good lifestyle, a moral lifestyle in order to win somebody to Christ. Because we don't have a good lifestyle, people are not going to believe what we say probably. And the same thing goes with money. If, we, if we're going to train them about money, we need to have good habits ourselves and to train them. And we got to tell them and train them and bring them up. Proverbs 18, 9 says, He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. Waste. Boy, I'm telling you, there's a lot of waste going on in America. People in India that he was talking about just a little while ago, people in India would love to be able to get in our dumpsters, I guarantee you. There's a lot of waste going on in America. They would like to get the garbage can off the back, off of your back porch because there's a lot of stuff there that they could use. They wouldn't waste it. And we've got so much, we don't think twice about throwing something away. Uh, if there's something in the refrigerator left over, I'm, I guess I'm a little uh, OCD about trying to eat it up. And so I'll eat things a lot of times don't go together. You know. uh, is Erica in here? Erica's not in here. She's a pickle person. She, she probably eats pickles and peanut butter. I don't know. But she, if I see something in the refrigerator that doesn't go together and it looks like it needs to be eaten up, I'll try to eat it anyway. And we ought not to waste things. Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The scripture speaks of mammon, money. And... If we don't train our kids about money properly, they can love money too much. For the love of money is the root of all evil, the Bible says. Money's not evil, but the love of money is evil. And if, if we don't train them to have their finances in line with the Lord, they're probably either going to be uh, totally bankrupt most of their life, or they'll be so greedy that they'll make money their God. They need to be taught about money. Luke 16, 11 says, if, you therefore, uh, if, ye, if therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? So God wants us to be faithful in our money just like he would in spreading the gospel or teaching people other Bible principles. He wants us to be faithful. If we're not faithful in the little things, we're probably not going to pay much attention to the big things either. So, teaching kids about money, here's what I'm saying. Teaching kids about money is a spiritual matter. Teaching kids is the primary responsibility of whom? Parents. Well, I'm not laid off on the school. Not even the church. Now, we're going to do our best to, to teach and to train at church classes, Clubs, whatever we're doing, we're going to try to help come along beside the parent and train, but it's the parent's responsibility. The church can't make up for that deficit that the parents leave in their child's life by not training them. We just try to add a little support to the parents, and we want to do all we can, but we can't make up for the lack of parenting. And it's that way in parent discipline or anything else that goes along with kids 
parents have got to be the primary teacher. Do you ever have your parents tell you money doesn't grow on trees? <laughs> You've heard it a few times. Well, money doesn't grow out of the ATMs either. And kids see us maybe once in a while get money out of the ATM and they think, well, that stuff's everywhere, you know. You just All you got to do is ask for it and you get it. We want our kids to know it didn't come easy. Money doesn't grow on trees and it doesn't just automatically come out of the ATM. We have to teach them that there's a way to get money and there's a way to save money and there's a way to spend money. There's a way to earn money. And so we have to teach them that. Number one, the management of money. The management of money. First, teach them to E-A-R-N. Teach them to earn money. When I was growing up, and people get sorry hearing, hearing us older folks say that, but I promise you it was different. And when I grew up, it was a way different than it is now, but when I grew up, I remember my dad telling me that things were a lot different when he grew up. And this kind of stair steps along downhill. <laughs> and people earned their money. And you knew that money just didn't come from anywhere. Our teenagers my, my age, we, uh, we made money hauling hay in the hot summertime, sweat rolling down your face, and that old sticky hot hay sticking to the sweat and stinging like a bumblebee and it's on you all day long it's around the grit around your collar and you get up in the barn top of a barn loft and you're stacking the hay up there bale after bale after bale under that hot tin roof and you're stacking that hay and you're sweating and you feel like you're going to pass out and the old farmer's paying you saying come on boys we got to get this done you ain't got time to loaf around they kept you working and Man, we worked hard. You'd work all day and, and maybe get a nickel a bale for hauling hay in out of the field and stacking it in the barn. And you can imagine about how much you'd make in a day's time. If you made three or four dollars, you'd do pretty good then in the 50s, 60s. And so we need to teach our kids to earn money. Since we, as a nation, have left the agricultural type of uh, community and living, there's not as many jobs and chores for kids to be involved in at home and so we have to be creative to see that this works. Proverbs 31 13 says she, she seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands and our kids, ought to, I was talking about a wife but our kids need to be taught to work willingly with their hands you know there's going to be some some kids are going to grow up and be uh, computer nerds and make big money doing that and that's okay some people are going to work in an office and never get sweaty, and that's okay. That's work is work. But when kids are little, we need to teach them the value of getting their hands dirty and getting sweaty and doing some things because not everybody gets one of those jobs that's a, a cushy, high-paying job that's easy. And so we need to teach our kids to be rough and tough about work. Get a few calluses on the hands. It won't hurt anything. It'll help. And you learn how some of the people in our nation make a living. And if people train their kids when they're little to earn their money, they will appreciate their money more than as if it were handed to them. We're not insinuating that money is the answer to all of life's problems. Not at all. Uh, nor are we saying 
it's the most important thing to learn from the Bible, but it is a thing in the Bible and it is important. We have to we have to take money seriously. Does anybody besides two or three of us remember Jack Benny, the comedian from back in the 50s and 60s? Jack Benny was one of my favorite comedians. Uh, he, and he portrayed himself as being a tightwad, a skin flint. I mean, he was a penny pincher. Now, in real life, he wasn't. They said he was a very generous man in real life. But, but in the shows that he, were, that he was in, he was always a skin flint. And in one of the skits on one of his shows, he, he's walking through the park and he's met by a mugger. And the mugger pulls a gun and, and says, your money or your life. And Jack's just standing there for a long time, not saying anything. And the mugger said, your money or your life, speak up. He said, give me time, I'm thinking it over. Well, money might not be that important to us, but it ought to be important. There's at least five things we can do to teach our kids uh, God's way of managing and earning money. Number one, give them an allowance. Give them an allowance. Now, it shouldn't be for the assigned chores. I mean, kids need to do some things without getting paid. Are you with me? I'm not against giving them allowance. I think it's a good idea. They need to have some money to learn to manage. You can't manage something that you don't have. <laughs> and so if, if they already have uh, chores, and every kid ought to have some chores, but just because they belong to the family. I mean, they eat there, they sleep there, their clothing is provided, everything's provided for them. And so being a family participant is a good thing to teach our kids. Uh, the girls need to get up there and wash some dishes. The boy needs to get out there and mow some of the yard and, and, uh, and carry out the garbage and just do the things that need to be done. And some of that stuff ought to be done without getting paid because that's just a privilege of living in the family and you participate as a family member. Uh, and if they're going to learn to handle money, though, they need to be given an allowance. And they ought to be given allowance when they're, I think, really small, even before they start to school, maybe. And they can get paid not for doing the chores that's their regular responsibility, but be paid for doing something extra, maybe like washing dad's car or truck. Or maybe... Uh, Maybe doing something like uh, if the lawn, mowing the lawn is not their regular job, maybe pay them for mowing the lawn. Find a job for them to do. Maybe you've got some painting you want to do. Now, if you trust your kids painting, you're brave. <laughs> like the woman that knocked on the man's door one day. She said, I'm trying to make some money, and I just wonder if you had any kind of job I could do. And he, he said, well, I'll tell you what, I was about to go outside myself and start painting. He said, that... that that porch, uh, go around back and you'll see that there's a porch that needs to be painted. And he handed her a bucket, a paint, and a paintbrush. And he said, uh, and if after you paint the porch, then I might have you do the overhang. And so she come back in a few minutes and she said, I got it. She said, I got it done. He said, you already got the porch painted? She said, no, sir. She said, it's not a Porsche, Porsche it's a BMW. Well, we need to teach those kids how to do things, and sometimes it's a big problem. Uh, we could do it faster ourselves, but they need to learn how. Let them do it. They'll make some mistakes. When they don't mow the yard into the corner 
neat enough. They leave the rounded corners and edges. Uh, teach them how to do it right. If you're going to have them to weed eat, teach them how to do it right. It's time-consuming, but they need to know it. And they get a little money, and then you teach them how to manage that money, that they don't go and blow it all at the first place they go. And you teach them, teach them to give... This is a good opportunity. Parents, if you want to teach your kids to tithe, teach them uh, when you give them that allowance, say, now look, here's the way, here's the way you need to handle your money. You, you're going to give God 10% off of the top, and, uh, and then you're going to save 10%. You're going to put it in a savings. It might be a fruit jar in the backyard, but it might be at the bank. But you start off by giving them, giving them some instructions about how to give properly and how to save properly and Giving to the Lord is an essential part of worship. It really is. When we, when we give, it, it's not that God needs our money. I mean, he's, he's got plenty. <laughs> but we need to give it to keep our heart from getting attached to it. And we show him appreciation for what he's done for us. And when, when we live on 90% of our income and, and get to keep 90% and he gets 10, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? He only gets 10% of it. And so we teach those kids. And why do we do that? Make the little kids give to the Lord. Yeah, make them give to the Lord. We taught our kids when they were real little. Like when you go to Sunday school, you put, you put money. We, in each Sunday school class, they'd pass a plate. And uh, we'd have our kids. It might just be a, a few nickels and dimes and pennies, but they'd put it in the offering plate when it was passed around. And they learned how to do that very young. Why do we do that? Well, Luke... 1234, listen to this. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You ever notice people spend money on things they love? Don't they? I mean, you don't just drive down the street throwing $20 bills out the window. You're going to go somewhere and buy something that you love. And if you love the Lord and you're giving to the Lord, and you teach your kids to give to the Lord, that attaches a string to the heart. We love and appreciate that in which we have an, an investment. If, if we invest in things, we, we tend to have, we, we place that pretty important, and we, and we love it more because we've invested in it. You know, you've got a, you've got a car that you... Man, you tune it up and put new tires on it, and you wash it and wax it and do all You like it more once you've done all that stuff. And when you invest in the Lord's work, you love him more. Let me say the second thing we can teach our kids in managing their money is teach them to buy what they want with cash. They get used, they've got a little cash in their hand from that allowance. And we teach them to buy what they want instead of saying, hey, Daddy, can you buy this for me? <laughs> They've got the money in their pocket. No, you buy it. I gave you some money. You're handling your money. If you want that, you buy it. But when it's gone, it's gone. <laughs> and they understand what it means to have an empty pocket at a very young age. Teach them to buy what they want and buy it with cash. I guess... I don't know if my mother was a little overboard on this or not, but she didn't like to see kids beg for stuff. And when I'm saying begging, I mean, they're, 
there weren't as many panhandlers back in those days as there are now, uh, but there were kids that were very forward uh, in asking for things. Like we lived in the country, and if if we went to visit another family over the road a couple of miles, my mother would tell me on the way there. She'd give me a short sermon. Now, when we get there, if they if they offer you something and you want to eat it, you can have it, but you better not ask for anything. And she drilled that into us. Now, maybe she was a little overboard, but I really appreciate that because there would be a family come to our house and maybe those kids that weren't trained the same way, they'd go up to my mother and or my dad and start asking for stuff in the house, you know, food or can I have that dog? <laughs> can I have... Can I have this or that? Can I have that toy? Can I take that home? And they'd beg for stuff. My mother, she drilled into us, you better not ever beg for anything. And she had me so scared, I wouldn't even eat when I was hungry. <laughs> well, this uh, begging is shameful. And it used to have a stigma attached to it that's not now. People do it pretty often and if I, if I was starving to death I might beg but as long as I've got two hands and can find somebody that will hire me to do something I'm going to earn my money instead of begging for it as long as I can work I'm not going to get on a government program to pay me to do nothing uh, I want to earn my own money that was just instilled into me and, and most of the generation that I grew up in that was instilled into them it was, it was a it was just a self-respect thing. You, you made your own way. You didn't ask anybody to do stuff for you. You didn't ask the government to pay you. You just did things on your own. And you, you looked for a job, and you looked for a job that would pay. And, and if it didn't pay as much as you wanted, you worked the job that was available. <laughs> and you worked that job as best you could, and you worked hard, and you tried to outwork everybody else on the job. You tried to do the best job and do the fastest job and work harder. I don't know how many construction jobs I was on when I was younger. Boy, if, if the foreman caught some, some young guy sitting down on the job, he'd say, hey, get up. We don't pay you to sit around. Get busy. Well, I didn't have anything to do. Well, pick up a board and carry it or something. You know, he wanted you to be moving, doing something. He said, man, if, if, uh, if the owner finds us sitting around, you won't have a job anymore. If he figures you've got time to sit around, he don't need you. And so we learned those things, and, and that's what we need to teach our kids. Two principles. Kids need to learn how to buy stuff for themselves and they need to learn how to pay cash for it. And Proverbs 22, 6, that you know well, says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. This childhood training can last a long, long time. Well, let me hasten. Instant gratification, that's what we're trying to teach our kids to avoid is being a, a victim that has to feel like they have to be instantly gratified. And if you make them work for that, I'm, I'm not saying they have to work for everything they've got. I mean, you're still going to, you want to provide for your children. You want to buy their, buy their clothes, unless they're wanting some big high, high dollar 
name brand clothes and let them buy them themselves. But, but you want to take care of your kids. You want to provide the groceries. You want to provide the housing. You want to provide the clothing for them. But when it comes to their wants, you let them, let them figure out how to buy it on the allowance that you've given them. And that instills into them that they have to save. If they want something that costs more than what they've got, that you gave them in the allowance, they have to wait until they save enough, up enough, enough to get it. That teaches them patience instead of instant gratification. I, Twilight Zone and Three Stooges are two of my favorite TV shows. <laughs> uh, Twilight Zone, I use this for illustration every once in a while, uh, different episodes. And I saw an episode once where a guy, a guy died and went to hell. This is in Twilight Zone. He, he died and went to hell. And when he got there, it was, turned out to be a, a really elegant place. And he's got everything he wants. He gets a nice big hotel room. I mean, it's lavish. There's a casino there. He can go in and, and play the tables. And he wins every time. I mean, he's just bulging with money. And day after day, and finally, he says man, I don't even like this. I thought I was getting off free by coming to this place, but this is really horrible. I'm, I'm despising having everything I want when I want it. I mean, all he had to do is snap his fingers and the food was there, money was there. Now, that's a poor representation of hell for sure, uh, but the point is that I think they were trying to get across in the twilight zone was that instant gratification, having what you want when you want it, doesn't cost you anything, doesn't take any effort. It's automatically supplied for you. If we raise our kids to feel that way, that whatever they want, they get. Whatever they want, they get, and they get it right now. Then the instant gratification will carry over into their adulthood, and that's when people get really upside down, and some of them turn into muggers and bank robbers and have unhappy marriages, and, and they make horrible workers because they're used to having everything when they want it, and we teach our kids not to do that. Well, what else can we teach them? Uh, we can teach them by being a model for them, a money model. Uh, kids learn more by what they see than what you tell them. Now, you need to tell them, but they learn a lot by watching. And you want to be an example. Now, don't be a dumb example like I was just before church tonight. <laughs> I don't know if it's still wet or not. Uh, I was making coffee back there. I had that, we got that long spout on the, the sink faucet that sticks way out. I had the faucet all the way on. It's running full blast. And so I'm filling up the coffee pot with water, and when it gets full, I reach over to shut the faucet off. And you know what happened when I slid my hand over to get the faucet handle? That long spout went right up my sleeve and filling my arm up with water. I can't get it to the water to turn it off. And so I've got water running down my elbow inside my sport coat. And uh, that's, that was dumb. I'm glad nobody was there to take a video. But when it comes to teaching kids about money, we don't want to be a dumb example. We want to be the example that will be profitable for them. They'll learn the right way by example. They're sponges. They pick up on everything. Luke 6.40 says, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Jesus taught his disciples by exemplifying things 
and modeling for them. We parents ought to model for our kids. And I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about being the kind of model that does the right thing, whether it's money or anything else. They pick up a lot of, of our euphemisms and even cuss words. If you, if you have a mouth that's a little bit smutty, they'll pick that up. They'll pick it up quick, and they won't think anything's wrong with it because, after all, Mom said it. Dad said it. <laughs> My dad wasn't a Christian when I was growing up. Boy, he had a vulgar mouth, and he say some stuff that was awful. My mom would drill it into us kids that we better not talk like him, and she had us scared to talk like him. Now, after I got grown and away from home, before I got saved, I developed that vulgar mouth because Dad did it. But everything that we do, they're watching. In all likelihood, they're going to handle their money much the same way as we do. Let them learn, uh, let them earn some extra money at home. Uh, as young as possible, let them learn to work at home. That's the safe place to let them work, let them begin there. And as they get older, they may be able to work out some, somewhere away from home. But in the beginning, teach them the work ethic at home where you're the teacher and things are safe. And teaching kids about money or anything else is tough. It's a hard job. I mean, you, you ever try teaching a teenager? Uh, now, you can teach little kids a little bit easier than you can bigger kids. Once they get bigger, I mean, teaching a teenager is like trying to nail jello to a tree. It just doesn't work very well. And so teach them when they're little, and you'll have more success than you will if you wait until they're older and already established in their ways. Um, when they're in high school, when they get in high school, discontinue their allowance during the summer months. Why? Well, you don't want them laying around the house doing nothing. And you're giving them the allowance to lay around. <laughs> in the summertime, they can work some. They can come up with, a, with an extra job. They're in high school now. They're big enough to, I mean, back when I was growing up, if I'd lived in a city, there were newspaper routes to deliver. Uh, they don't do that much anymore with the advent of the Internet and all. But there's still places they can work. Fast food place, for instance, or, or maybe uh, maybe. They could mow lawns, do yard work and, and stuff. There's, there's jobs that they can still do. And in the summertime, it would be a good idea to let, the kids, let those kids work and earn some of their own money for the coming year. If they want some name brand clothes, let them, let them work hard and buy it themselves. Uh, one thing I would caution about, and I've said this for years, and I still think it's right, don't ever encourage or allow your kids to take a job that will keep them out of church on Sunday. That's defeating your purpose. And you have an agreement. If, if they're going to work a job for somebody else, they need to have an agreement with the employer. Now, I don't work on Sundays. I go to church. And if the employer doesn't want to hire them that way, then maybe they need to look for a different job. But just because the employer wants them to work on Sunday doesn't mean they have to. If they do it up front, don't hire in and say, yeah, I work around the clock, man, 24-7. And then later on you say, well, I don't work on Sundays. That wouldn't be really honest, would it? And so let them, let them teach those kids. When they go ask for a job, tell them, tell them, tell their boss up front, I'm not going to be here on Sunday. I go to church. 
Now, the miracle of compound interest, and I'm going to have Brother Chad to come up in just a moment, but uh, I, want to, uh, I want to say that you can teach kids about saving, and this is a good lesson for us, too. And don't wait until you're in geezerhood like I am to figure out how to save money. Teach those kids when they're little so that when they get the age we are now, they'll have some money and they can do it. Uh, one thing that, that I'm going to mention right now before Chad gives you a, a, a little example or two here, one way parents ought to have a good life insurance policy, get a term life, they're pretty cheap, uh, you, as a stroke of a pen, signing your name upon your death, you'll leave your family a million bucks for maybe if you're paying out 10 or $20 a month, if you're fairly young and in good health, you can get a million-dollar policy for 20 bucks a month. That's pretty cheap to make, make your family comfortable for the rest of the life. And so I'm saying we need to prepare for the future because the future is coming. Brother Chad's going to tell us a little bit about the miracle of compound interest. Investing money, if, for instance, we talked a couple of weeks ago about trying to stay on cash basis with cars. If you can ever get on a cash basis with cars, instead of paying out $700 a month, and a lot of that is interest that's going out of your pocket into the finance company's pocket. But if you can learn how to get on cash, then instead you put that $700 a month in savings and into a place, not just one of the simple little savings accounts, I'm talking about long-term investments that pay bigger interest, and it'll be paying you interest instead of you paying out interest. And so you're getting a double dip. Not only are you saving the interest that was going out, but you're making interest on what you paid in to your savings that was going out for a car. That's just one example. Brother Chad, tell us about the magic of compound interest. How does it work anyway? Thank you, Pastor. And I can attest, I teach this to my accounting class at school, and most of these 20-year-old kids are amazed when they find out about what compounding interest is. It's actually, some people have called it the eighth wonder of the world. So basically, when you have compounding interest, you are, when you have simple interest, you earn interest on what you put into your bank account. When you have compounding interest, you get interest on what you put in there, plus the interest you've already accrued up into your account. So for a simple example, say you put $1,000 into a bank, and you're going to get a 10% return on your money. Well, under simple interest, every year you would get $100, 10% of $1,000. So at the end of 10 years, you'll have $2,000. If you were compounding it, at the end of year one, you get $100. So now you have $1,100. That compounds by 10%. So at the end of year two, now you get $110 added to your account. So now you're up to $1,210. At the end of that year, then you get $121 added to your account. You work that out over 10 years, you get a total of $2,593. So compounding interest just makes your money grow exponentially. And this gets even better when we start talk, stop talking about just a one-time payment. We start talking about annuities. And this is where you put money into an account over and over again at a specific rate in time. So we talked about doing it the old school way, right? If you really like to do math, you can figure out how much you're going to have by taking your payment. And then you're going to multiply that by one plus the interest rate raised to the number of periods you're going to have power, then take that minus one and divide that by the interest rate. And you can get that. But thank goodness we have powerful calculators and computers that will do that for us now. So assume that you were just going to make a $200 payment once a month for 40 years 
and you were going to get a 5% rate of return. Go ahead and go to that first slide, Jonathan. You're going to end up, after 40 years of having $305,203. You know, so you're only putting in $96,000, and you're having $209,000 on interest on that. So you might think, well, that's pretty good, but what if I just up my payments a little bit? What if I made that $250 a month? Go to the next slide, Jonathan. If we made that $250,000 a month, we're increasing the amount we put into our account by $24,000. And as you can see, our new total is now $381,000. So we increase what we put in twenty-four. dollars What we're getting out is now about $80,000 higher. But you can make it even grow better if you can find a better rate of return. We chose 5% rate of return because your average 401k will get you about 5% if you go on the less risky side, if you go on the lower end. If you go on the higher end of that, you can get about 8% interest in your, out of your 401k. So we're going to go to your next slide, Jonathan, and this is where you're going to see a huge difference. If you invest at $200 a month for 40 years at 8%, now you're up at $698,000, almost $700,000. And the final one I got for you if you do stay out of a 401k and you just go invest in the stock market in general, the 30-year average is getting a 10% rate of return. So by putting in that $200 a month or $96,000, you can become a millionaire in 40 years and have $1.2 million in your bank account by just simply investing $96,000. And that is the miracle of compounding Amen. interest. Thank you, brother. Now the summary of all of the, now he's the professor and head of accounting at the college. I'm going to simplify this for you. You can put $50,000 in a fruit jar and bury it in the backyard. 40 years from now, you'll have $50,000. If you invest it wisely, you might end up having $150,000 to $200,000. Does that sound better than just saving it, but saving it in a wise way where you're making big bucks? I had an aunt who really she did keep money in fruit jars and she could have money and, and she and, and she was poor I mean as far as having a big income she never had one it's very small income but she saved everything she ever made and she had several hundred thousand dollars when she died but if she had put it into an investment vehicle like Chad was talking about either an annuity or or 401k or in a mutual fund Dave Ramsey uh He's big on mutual funds. He says that get a long-term one that's proven over decades that it's stable. It may, it may go up and down a little bit every once in a while down through the years, but it levels out over a long period of time. If she had done that, she would have been well more than a millionaire. She would have probably had two or three million or maybe a lot more, but she just thought, well, I'm going to save money because she didn't trust banks, and so that's the way she did it. But... Somebody as young as, say, Josh, if, if they started putting money in a savings account. I had, I had people try to tell me this when I was Josh's age, but I was way too smart for that. I figured I'll spend my money now and enjoy it instead of saving it. <laughs> and most of us, most of us in America, get to the age I am now, and we ain't got nothing. Lucky if you get a little Social Security but you ain't going to live very high on the hog with Social Security. You'll be lucky to pay your rent with Social Security. Maybe some Vienna sausages. But 
if you took, if you decided when you're young, and that's why we're teaching our kids this, teaching them the, the value of saving and being smart with their money when they're kids, instead of becoming a retiree at 65 or 70 and living on a thousand or two thousand bucks a month, they could have all the money they need. I'm talking about, just like he said, you could have millions of dollars if you lay enough back and put it in a smart investment vehicle and we teach our kids that, then they won't have to endure trying to survive when they get our age. Many of us, that's my age, we, we kind of struggle to just make ends meet. But if you do the smart thing and start saving at a young age and put it in the right place where it's earning compound interest, then you'll be able to retire and maybe live off of the interest or not have to pay out too much of the principal and the money will probably outlast you. But there's a lot of indigent people today that's 65 or 70 years old that's just barely getting by. And if it wasn't for uh, some kind of welfare program, they'd probably starve to death. And so I'm just saying we ought to teach our kids this for their benefit, not because it's a get-rich-quick scheme. <laughs> uh, if you've, We've gone over this before. If, if somebody tries to get you to invest in something that sounds too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. <laughs> Do it the honest and smart way. And by the way, teach your kids uh, gambling is not an investment. I've explained this over the years this way. Um, I've had people, numerous people tell me, well, gambling's not any different than buying stocks in the stock market. Gambling is way different than buying stocks in the stock market. If you buy stocks, you're investing in some business or service that's going to produce money. And you're investing in it to give them the capital they need to get to that point where they're producing and earning a profit, and then you get paid back from it. Gambling, there's got to be losers. Somebody's got to lose or nobody wins. You understand that, right? If you go to the casino and win a, a jackpot, you only got it because a whole bunch of other people gambled away what they needed to put clothes on their baby's back. Somebody had to lose for you to win at the gambling casino. When you invest in stocks, is it a risk? Yeah, it's a risk. But it's not a risk like gambling because gambling requires losers. If you invest in goods and services like in the stock market or in the mutual funds, which ultimately goes into those same things or in annuities and so forth, it's reinvested. And goods and services are being produced by what you invested. And so, therefore, you get a return back on it because everybody in the loop got helped. The businessman... Whoever had that business, he did well, and that's why he made profits, and so that's why you get profits. The customers who bought their goods or their services, they got what they needed, and that's why they bought it. And so everybody in the system on an investment like that is honest and equitable. Some have higher risk than others, and, 
and, and I think Chad would bear this out to be true too, that when you invest money, if you want the higher interest rates, the risk goes up. But it's not like gambling. <laughs> it's just not gambling. And so don't ever let anybody tell you that gambling and, and investments are the same. That just because they both involve risk, they're no need, the gambling is always going to be somewhat immoral and unbiblical because it takes from somebody else that needed to have what they had, but they lost it. All right, I'm off my soapbox on that. It's Albert Einstein, I think, Brother Chad, that says that uh, said that compound interest was the uh, greatest invention of all time. And John D. Rockefeller, I think it was, that said uh, the eight, that it was the eighth wonder of the world. And so we need to understand those things. Uh, let's see. Last thing, and then we'll be done. Uh, use diverse investments. Uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket. If you're going to invest for the long haul, you don't want to put everything, all of your life savings in one investment because if that happened to fail, then you lose everything. But if you diversify the investments where you're investing in this thing and that thing and the other thing over there, that's why mutual funds tend to be pretty good because they invest in several different areas and, and so that's why they're more consistent. But if you, if you really want to get high interest, you invest in a higher risk uh, investment vehicle but you're more likely to endure some loss that way. So I would say find somebody that's a, a good financial advisor and, and, uh, and teach you that, but teaching your kids is not that complicated at the beginning. All right. Well, let me conclude this thing. Based on the, the lessons for the last few weeks on finances, what do you think would be the first thing you'll teach your kids? about finances, uh, what will be your first step as far as getting them where they've got some money in their hand, they learn how to handle it. What are you, how are you going to handle that? That would be something good to think about. Let's pray together, and uh, we'll have an we'll invitational hymn. Anybody wants to come to the altar, you're welcome. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd bless us, Lord. Thank you for your instructions in the Bible about money. Thank you for a God who loves us, a Savior who died for us. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the Word of God that helps us to have the instructions we need to survive in life and to thrive in life. I pray that you'd bless us. Help us as we teach our kids. Maybe we can teach them to do a little better than we've done ourselves. Lord, help us to be ever learning, and Lord, help us to ever be submitted to your will in everything that we do. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.